Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Fully immersed now in the holiday movie season, getting busier, getting some Oscar hopefuls coming out. We're going to check out this week's releases. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And the screen, and we are from MadWolf.com. The Screening Room Podcast is brought to you by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. With a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby, Atmos, surround sound, and Dream Lounger recliners. I think this first movie might be good to check out on a big, big screen if you're interested. It's the second installment of the Fantastic Beast series, set in J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World, featuring the adventures of magi-zoologist Newt Scamander. It's Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. There's a rumor that Newt Scamander is headed to Paris. I know he's working under your orders. What do you have to say for yourself, Dumbledore? If you'd ever had the pleasure to teach him, you'd know Newt is not a great follower of orders. The time's coming, Newt. When you're gonna have to pick a side. I can't move against Grindelwald. It has to be you. Magi zoologist. <laughs> Can I get a degree in that? Where do I go? I think I have to go to Wizarding World. It's funny the you know that this is a big series because it's really just an excuse to go back and revisit all of the characters you didn't really get to know and uh, maybe meet their grandparents and maybe meet their you know it's just a it's just an excuse to really expand on this world that people love so much to spend their time in and in this case you get to revisit a much beloved character when he was much much younger oh yeah exactly right uh, um, Dumbledore is young and handsome. <laughs> I don't know if we ever realized when we saw the old and ugly Dumbledore that he used to look like Jude Law, but good well, for you. Buried under all that hair, you couldn't really know what he looked like. So this is the pre-all that. But uh, yeah, so it's you're right. It's a lot of the same. Well, it's J.K. Rowling. Yeah. So And she's proven time and again she's incredibly imaginative. Yes. But this series just doesn't even come doesn't, close to the Harry Potter. And so he, the thing is, so Rowling is writing directly for the screen. Um, and so, you know, which on the one hand, awesome, because she's going to do right by her characters, right? And who, who who better to decide what used to happen to her characters? That's right. But, you know, what's funny is that people are already up in arms because there are things that she's forgetting about her own, you know, <laughs> canon and that, you know, uh, McGonagall shouldn't be in this world. Yeah, I mean, there are just certain things that nerds are going to jump to, which is fine. But the problem I have with it is, you know, this movie is two hours and 15 minutes long. The first movie is two hours and 15 minutes long. It's different if you are adapting a huge, deeply, uh, you know, developed right. novel for the screen, and it's going to be hard to cut that down. You're writing for the screen, just write for the screen. <laughs> Cut it down. Um, and, and the thing that I found the most frustrating about this movie, it looks great. Um, uh, the characters are quirky and fun. Johnny Depp actually, uh, you know, he's he's made a career of being goofy weirdos. And in this case, and in the last couple films he's been in, very menacing. And he yeah. does a good job with that. So he's the full-on villain here. He's he Grindelwald, Grindelwald. As we found out in the first movie. Exactly. Uh, so he expands on that. Yeah. And you're right. He always... 
no matter the screen time, we've seen him make big impressions with little screen time with those types of quirky characters. But here, it's the, I mean, you could call Sweeney Todd a villain. I yeah. mean, he was killing people. But uh, that was the lead in the movie. This here is is more of a support character, but a very important character, but a full-on villain. Yes, yes. There's no redeeming quality about Grindelwald. He is a villain. Um, um, but the problem that I have with the movie the primary problem I have with the movie is very similar to the problem I had with the first Hobbit film, The Hobbit, mm-hmm. where, okay, I'm, I'm traveling along, I'm, I'm, I'm invested, I'm watching. Two and a half hours later, the dragon opens its eye, and I realize <laughs> this is the beginning of the story, everyone. Yeah. We just sat through two and a half hours of exposition, now we have to wait till next year. Right. And the problem with the, the reason that, that Grindelwald is so frustrating we already sat through two and a half hours of exposition, which was the last uh, Fantastic Beasts film. This should be the one that takes off. Yeah. And, you know, it, it opens well, and you think it's going to. It really has a great opening sequence. and But the rest of the movie is cool to look at, and nothing happens. You know, Grindelwald is still batty, and, and Newt's commander is still weird and likes animals and has a crush on this lady. And uh, Ezra Miller's character is still mopey. Nothing happens happens yeah, and nothing, it's quite frustrating nothing of consequence no. it just leaves you to the point where okay where it's just a, a bridge to the next round right which you know we've seen that happen before i mean yeah heck with yeah. Uh, fantastic empire... beasts and where to find them well i mean i'm thinking of a movie where it works like say yeah. empire strikes back yes no, okay? you're right you're right solid movie some people s- still say the best in the series mm-hmm. i do it, and it leaves you at such a a cliffhanger yeah but yet Things did happen. Yes, yes. We found out a lot about Luke in that movie. <laughs> yes, we did, as I recall. So, yeah, this can be frustrating that way, unless it's just people that are so into being immersed in this world right. that they don't mind just sitting being immersed in it for two and a half hours yeah, and with... really getting nowhere, just treading water yeah. and looking at it on a big screen with, as you say, the the great-looking characters and other worlds. Although it does bring, I think you made the point in your written review, it does bring certain things that are improvements on the first movie. It does. It does. Um, I think that the first movie... Uh, lacked momentum. It lacked what it lacked. Really, I think was villainy uh, for the most part, and and to a certain degree, um, visual flair. This one uh, has both of those things. Mm-hmm. So you you have the sort of cool looking animals, which you had a lot of in the previous. Film, oh yeah. But but you have also like Zoe Kravitz's character. You know, uh, she always looks great. She's always got these great, like, silky dresses on, and you don't know is she good or is she bad. And then, uh, you know, uh, Grindelwald, uh, he's 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 very sinister, and he's sort of developing this coven around him. <laughs> so the things look cool, uh, and and in a way that's much more sort of wizardy than in the previous film. The previous film almost had like a slapstick comedy that didn't really take off. Right. Right. Uh, element to it, and they've abandoned that here, and they're going more witchy, which I appreciated. But again, I mean, the fact of the matter is, there's just no real plot here. Yeah. So if you just like, as we said, being immersed in that world, uh, you're going to appreciate it. Other than that, you'll just feel like you're treading water, uh, going nowhere for two and a half hours. Next up is a film set in contemporary Chicago amid a timeline of turmoil. Four women with nothing in common except a debt left behind by their dead husband's criminal activities take fate into their own hands. It's widows. Something happened tonight, something bad. Our husbands aren't coming back. We're on our own. 
They were doing a lot of money. And now people want it from us. Now the best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. In this city, you reap what you sow. Let's hope so. There's a handful of movies that we have been incredibly excited about this year, and this is is one of those. Yeah, for a lot of reasons. The, the cast, also the director is Steve McQueen. Yeah, that's the biggest did thing. Twelve Years a Slave and Shame. Yeah, and then I didn't know it. It was uh, adapted. This the screenplay is adapted by Gillian Welch, right. who did Gone Girl. Yep. And I guess this comes from I didn't realize this until you told me. This originally came from a British miniseries. Yeah. In the '80s, and then it was uh, it was updated. It was an American miniseries in like 2002. Uh, and uh, but McQueen had watched it as a kid in England, yeah. and and always wanted to make it into yeah. a movie. And it's it's he's moved it to, to to Chicago. It is set in Chicago. Chicago is really a character in this movie. I mean, the the environment, the landscape this film creates is fascinating, and there are so many characters, and it is so layered. And I honestly, I cannot remember the last time I saw a film that had so much going on. Where a filmmaker was able to articulate an entire backstory in 25 seconds. Yes. In, in a way that meant something. It wasn't like cliff notes. It wasn't shorthand. I mean, you got it. Mm-hmm. And 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 then so you had a sense of where this character was going. Yep. It, it's so well put together. That just shows you that is possible. Sometimes you'll watch a two-hour movie and the main character just has no development and, and they just waste all that time. And then you see another movie like this where support characters or one of an ensemble cast has little screen time, but boom, I'll, right away. Okay, yep. I'm I'm invested in that character. They have layers, they have edges, and yet it can be done with great writing and great direction. And, of course, a great cast doesn't hurt, and this one has it. That's all of those things. It absolutely does. And, it, you know, at its heart, it's a heist film. And, in fact, as I think is a funny idea, it's at its heart, it's a Liam Neeson movie. And <laughs> to prove it, he's in it. Um, Liam Neeson plays the leader of the, the band of, of robbers who, who are blown up in the opening sequence, and this is why they're wives find themselves in peril because the the guy whose money they stole he needs it back but then liam remains in the movie through flashback flashback yeah even even though they're technically gone in the first scene they're still uh they're still around in flashback well mainly what you find out from the flashbacks is viola davis plays his widow is is the emotional turmoil of their recent uh, years because their son was killed and and you see I mean Viola Davis I don't know if there is a better actor she's on great. the planet she's so good and she just is so able to convey the burden that a person is carrying in this case grief mm-hmm. but also eventually you know terror fear survival um, she just carries all of it so well and does such a beautiful job in this movie and is the the anchor it is an incredibly populated cast. I mean, it's a big, <laughs> big ensemble and everybody impresses, but she's the center of gravity and she carries it off beautifully. Yeah, because they they have to settle a debt that their husbands left behind to some bad guys. And uh, you've got uh, Viola Davis as the leader of the Widows Gang. They're going to try to settle that debt. But yeah, in the uh, in the ensemble cast, you've got Colin Farrell. Who's great. Got Michelle Rodriguez. Even Robert Duvall. He's great. Pops up. Uh, Daniel, oh, Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya. He is so... It's just so great to see him in this particular yeah. role because cause he's just a sadistic monster and he gets such joy out of it. I mean, there's one particular scene in a bowling alley that is just worth the price of admission. Well, I think you could tell that just from the trailer. That one, oh, yeah. The one scene where he just looks and 
waves hello. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he does it with such, oh, oh man, yeah. I'm scared of that guy. And that's the funny thing. He actually, he doesn't have very many lines. He is mainly, that's mainly because his brother is the main baddie. Right. And he's sort of the, I guess, enforcer. And he just stands <laughs> off to the side and uh-huh. stares a hole into whoever the brother is talking man, to. And it is so yeah. unsettling. Yeah, yeah. And it uses this heist anchor to really comment a lot about where we are right now in the world in you know in, in politics in social uh, interactions in um, in a lot of things with all these inter interlocking layers yeah. of commentary yeah. and just does it in such a smart way. Yeah, because to be honest with you, none of it is preachy. It's, it's actually just necessary to the plot. It's so you have a sense of who's doing what and why they're doing it. And even if you don't know it till the end, you're like, why do I, why am I looking so closely at this particular political race? Yeah. Well, it's not because American politics are inherently corrupt, although that is the impression you're going to get is because it's actually necessary to the plot. There's nothing wasted, Mm -hmm. which is another really impressive element to this movie because there is so much going on. And it's it's not one of those, you know, you you get the impression from the trailer that there's a heist going on, but don't think for one minute this is a fun type of Ocean's 11-12 type of heist. Not at all. It's much more engaging. Well, you know, it's funny because what it isn't is fun. Right. It's not Fun. But that's not it's to not say it's not entertaining. No, it's very entertaining. It is riveting, breathtaking, entertaining. But it's it's just don't go in expecting, you know, Ocean's Eleven, because you will be disappointed. <laughs> right. So a uh, big, uh, enthusiastic recommendation for Widows. Let's lighten the mood a little bit for the next movie. It's a story of a couple finding themselves in over their heads when they adopt three children. Instant family. Over a half million children are currently in foster care. The county puts these on because they can match a lot of kids and parents quickly. Lizzie comes with two younger siblings. Three kids? Too much. Oh, Oh my God. They're adorable. Why would you show us that? That's wrong. You're just another white lady who wants to adopt charity orphans to make you feel good about yourself. Pretend, Mom. We might have a little bit of a knack for this. Oh, I beg to differ. This is never going to be easy. But with some structure and love, you could make your house a home. Now, this is one that was better than we expected it to be. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I did not have a lot of great expectations for this. The trailer made it look like, oh, boy, just formulaic. Know where this is going. And then you look at the writer-director, and it's Sean Anders, who has done... He's done some decent things. Hot Tub uh, Time Hot Machine. Hot Tub Time Machine. Even We're the Millers, I sure. thought was okay. Mm-hmm. And he's done some... Disaster comedies. That's my boy. One, maybe one of the worst comedies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, and then Daddy's Home Two, very bad. Yes, but not good. But here, the, the, I think the main thing that sets this apart is, you know, the old adage: write what you know. He's writing what he knows. I didn't realize this about him, but he's basing this on his own family situation and he and his wife taking in three foster children that ended up being, you know, ad- siblings. Ad- yes, all yeah. siblings that ended up being adopted and. That's the type of sincerity that runs through this entire movie, and it really, really helps it. Um, you may find it funnier than I did. I don't think this guy's humor is is my favorite type. I there were for me, it was really nothing more than some some warm chuckles mm-hmm. along the way. But it's got a lot of heart. It really has a lot of heart that that elevates it. And uh, you know, you hate to use the phrase "feel good movie," especially this time of year. But it does offer lots of good feels. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mark Wahlberg and Rose Byrne 
are, are this couple. She's always good. She's always she is good. always good. And she has great comic timing. She if you, does. If you haven't figured that out by now, she does. She has great comic timing. Wahlberg doesn't always. He's better here, and I think that's because of her. Yeah. I really do. But um, they're a couple that is successful in their in their home renovating business, and they've kind of put off having kids, don't know if they want to. And then, much like if you hear Sean Enters' story, a an offhand remark about fostering or adopting led to the road of, oh, maybe we should look into that. And then this couple in the uh, in the movie do look into it, and the next thing you know, they've got a teenage girl and her two young siblings moving in. And it brings a lot of trials and tribulations. And that's another good thing about the movie. It doesn't shy away from how hard this is. And you learn a lot about the process. And a lot of that is done through a great pair of caseworkers, an odd couple pair of caseworkers played by Octavia Spencer and Tig Tignataro. And they're they're polar opposites, and they, they bounce off each other, and they... That they, casting is genius yeah, right there. It's really great. Oh, how perfect is but that? But it's a nicely organic way for people that don't know a lot about the program and how it works to learn about it, you know. And uh, and you find out, it, like I said, it doesn't shy away, as Octavia Spencer's character says, things that matter are hard. Mm -hmm. And it does show you that this is hard. You know, you're taking in kids, especially a teenager... And one of the other things that I think separates this movie apart is it treats the children's characters as more than just cute props. Right, right. Not that they're not cute. They are, especially the little ones. But mainly with the older girl, who's played by Isabella Moner, or Moner, I'm not sure. From she, Sicario, too. Yeah, from Sicario, too. She is one to watch. She's from Cleveland. She is from Cleveland, and she is a young talent to yeah, watch. She is. She's very good in this role, uh, nailing down... A, a complex teenage, you know, character. She's these kids have been through a lot, so she's not only trying to protect her young siblings, but she's vulnerable herself. And I think uh, they really do a good job of making these children actual characters, uh, and and again, making it a, a well-rounded type of story that gets you to care about not only the process. Uh, but to care about the characters, and it's it's not great. It's still manipulative at times. It still has music montages, you know, <laughs> those types of trappings where you this is what you expect. But uh, its heart really elevates it, and it was uh, it was much better than I expected. Again, you may find it funnier than I did. It had for me, it had some nice chuckles all the way through it. But there were some people around me laughing, you know, heartily. So uh, depends on your sense of humor. You might find it a lot. A lot more funny, but even so, I think it's uh, it's one that is is good this holiday season and a, a recommendation for instant family. Next up, a movie that has definite Oscar implications. The son of a Baptist preacher is forced to participate in a church-supported gay conversion program after being forcibly outed to his parents. It's called Boy Erased. I want you to do well. I want you to have a great life. I love you, but we cannot see. A way that you can live under this roof if you're going to fundamentally go against the grain of our beliefs. Jared, tell me the truth. That's all. I don't want to pretend anymore. I've had to ask myself and God if I'm ready to lose you. Lucas Hedges. I'll tell you what, Lucas Hedges... Between Lucas Hedges and Timothy, Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet, they are just going one after the other yep. right now. Yep. I fully expect them both to be nominated um, because Timothy Chalamet just had a, another very emotional mm -hmm. part as well with Beautiful Boy. But uh, yeah, Lucas Hedges, he's so great here. Everybody's good in this movie. Uh, he stars as, the character's name is Jared. It's actually based on uh, a man's memoir named 
Gerard, I think his, his Gerard is how you pronounce his first name, Gerard Conley, who wrote the book. And it's based on his life. And uh, Jared's parents are played by Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe. And they're both great. Mm-hmm. And they're well, in... one is Nicole Kidman, not brilliant. Yeah, exactly. But I would not be surprised if she gets um, award consideration as well here. But uh, they're in Arkansas in the Bible Belt. In fact, uh, the, the father is a Baptist preacher, soon to be ordained as a minister. Mm-hmm. So very steeped yeah. in, in the faith. And, uh, yeah, the young boy is grappling with these feelings that he has for men. And uh, when it becomes clear that he can't hide from that anymore and, and confesses it to his parents, the father consults with the church elders and they decide the best thing is this conversion therapy. And, it, you know, to see the, the changes in the character in Jared, I mean, he, Lucas Hedges makes it feel so authentic that he's going there. He, he, he wants to be the person others want him to be. Yeah. You know, he grew yeah. up in this environment. He he thinks he's told that God will not love him. Right. And he's he's desperate. Co- yes. He, he wants to be that person. And then he goes to the program that's run by Mr. Sykes, who is played by Joel Edgerton. Right. Which, director. Which is good. Anyway, mm-hmm. but yeah, this is his second movie that he's directed. I'll tell you what, Joel Edgerton has established in himself as not only a fine, fine actor, we yes. know that, but just a really good filmmaker. Filmmaker. If you didn't see The Gift, uh, obviously a very, very different film, but still great. Yeah. yeah, and he adapts this screenplay, too, and he mm-hmm. does it in such a way he doesn't demonize. You know, he doesn't... And that's, you know, that's impressive, given is. the subject matter. It is. It, he, he, he carves these, these parents... Through the screenplay and the performances, as as not villains, as people who were reacting to the information they had at the time, and it's nice the way the film, as Jared's eyes are opened to what's going on at this conversion therapy program, maybe the real motivations behind it, and also as he's opened to things that he was brought up to believe that may or may not be true. It's done in a delicate, graceful way mm-hmm. that also you see the parents start to change as well. And just little things, how, how little things are framed. There's one fantastic scene, just one scene, when uh, Jared is visiting with his family doctor, played by Cherry Jones, who, if you don't know her, she's a kind of a that. You'll rec- one, yeah, yeah, you'll, you'll recognize, recognize her. She's fantastic. And she just wants to gently remind him that, you know, she also is a Christian, but she wants him to know that he's perfectly normal. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of stares at her. And it's such a tender, effective moment. And that's the way this movie treats this entire subject. It's an important subject. And it it makes it, because this is one man's story, it's making it very intimate and not beating you over the head with a message, but giving you a message through one family's story. Right. Because that's what it is. It's a story of a family yeah. and how they went through this and how a young man went through it and how his eyes were opened and how it affected his parents and how they got through this. And it it can be deeply emotional. For some, there may be some scenes that are that are hard to watch, but I will say in the end, it's a very hopeful it, it ends on a very hopeful, loving note, and I think it's a movie that is handled just so well um, by all involved, and um, one that, like I said before, I think will definitely be remembered come awards season, and I definitely recommend Boy Erase this week. One more that's in limited release, a movie unlike anything we've seen in a while, if ever. It's a customs officer who can smell fear developing an unusual attraction to a strange traveler while aiding a police investigation which will call into question her entire 
existence. It's a foreign film called Border. This one is best if you go in knowing nothing about it. After we had seen the movie, we did stumble ac- across one major written review that spoiled... In the opening... You know what? In the in the way, title of the review. Way too much. I could not believe it. Um, so stay away from that. That's right. <laughs> we won't do that. No. Uh, but we will say this is comes from a story written by the same writer who wrote Let the Right One In, mm-hmm. which is a great vampire movie mm-hmm. that we could not endorse more heartily. So this comes from a, a short story. And then Ali Abassi, hope I'm pronouncing that right, adapted the screenplay and directed it. And it's a, boy, it's it's really hard to describe. It's it's like, again, nothing that you've ever really seen, although it does touches on themes that certainly many films have touched on before, but it does it in a whole new way, and it's just, you just can't look away from it. No, you know, it's what's funny to me is that it, it reminded me of two very small films that I loved, both single word titles beginning with B. Weirdly enough, it is like a perfect mashup of the British film Beast and the uh, uh, Nordic film Borgman. Right. And this is also a Nordic film, and one of the reasons that it's interesting is because it, it is, it's a thriller, it's a romance... But it's also very steeped in Nordic folklore, which is so fun and weird. And it's a weird movie, although it's not it's not irrational, it's not illogical. It makes perfect sense, the the, the story that it has developed, and, and, it, and it all works surprisingly well. Yeah, it's so weird because this main character, and she's played by Eva Melander, character's named Tina, and the, the actress is under a lot of prosthetics to make her look. Uh, not really deformed, a little but, bit like a Neanderthal almost. But weird, yeah. Uh, and it's it's a great performance. It's a fearless performance. But the character is so interesting because she can she can smell smell things on people, yeah. fear and shame, and so she knows as a as a customs officer she knows when someone's hiding something yeah. instantly. Yep. And she's used for that very effectively. And then she's used by the local police department to aid a police investigation yep. with her you know, developed senses. So that part of it is fascinating. Yeah. And then when she gets kind of uh, infatuated with this strange traveler, then we go somewhere else yeah. about her and her backstory and what's his deal. And did he really stumble upon her or has he been searching her out? And it gets weird. It gets crazy. But it's it's so fascinating. It's definitely fascinating. And and uh, the performances across the board are really, really great. And one of the things that I actually appreciate about it is that the the narrative is a little sloppy. They don't tidy everything up. They don't. They, they don't deliver you necessarily what you're hoping to, to even mm-hmm. have happen. But uh, I, I think that's in a good way. Yeah, I think that's totally in keeping with the kind of story it's yeah, telling. I agree. It's not tidy whatsoever. No. Um, but it's a story about finding where you belong, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like an outsider mm-hmm. and then finding something to cling to. Uh, and in that way, it can be heartwarming. Yeah. In a just. <laughs> yeah, but it's <laughs> such definitely. A weird it's way. absolutely not sort of your typical ugly duckling story. Um, it's, you know, don't, don't misread what we're saying. There's a lot more <laughs> happening here than that. There is, but we really, uh, enjoyed it. And, uh, I think, I think this is the official Denmark, um, contribution for the Oscars. Contention. Con- yeah. In contention. Mm-hmm. So hopefully it gets, uh, it gets some consideration for a foreign film. We will see. And that's border. And that means it's time to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. 
Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. So it's a funny thing. In the new releases, all but one we would recommend. In the home entertainment, not not as strong. Not a good group. It's led by the Meg, which, uh, wow. I think the biggest problem with this movie is that it just took itself way too seriously. I mean, come on. It's the Meg. If you, if you would have had, I remember the main thing I thought about this movie, the giant shark and Jason Statham, of course, he's fighting the giant shark. If they'd have had a vibe that was closer to... Um, Kong Skull Island, something yeah. like that. Or even Snakes on a Plane. Snakes on a Plane. I mean, look at what Embrace you're doing what you here. Are. Embrace it. And But then by the time it gets to the point where it makes one little nicely subtle ode to Jaws, yeah. and then it just starts outright scene stealing. Oh, and yeah. then, okay, fine, your hands are up. I thought it was just a big old waste. Oh, and, and you know, for anybody who thinks they're going to see a horror film of any sort, there is no blood at all None. in a shark attack movie. No. No. Um, you know, and, and I and I, I guess I got it needed to separate itself from like Sharknado and all of the ridiculousness of you know trying to one up your shark movie, but there's just nothing happening here. No, they it's so not worth seeing. They didn't have to go full Sharknado, no. but they could have made the vibe a lot more wink wink, a lot more let's have fun with this than they did, and they just went way too serious. Uh, also, here and now, which actually just came out. Yeah, it's one of those that had a really close where it's uh, uh, theatrical release and VOD were very close together, and it's not very good. It's yeah. just not. And that's Sarah, Sarah Jessica Parker's latest. And yeah. That, yeah, that was just out in theaters. Also, Mile 22 comes out this week. And this was a disappointment because yeah. it's the latest collaboration between Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg, who have done they've lot of, they've done a lot of good work together. Deepwater Horizon, Patriot's Day. Lone Survivor. Lone Survivor. Yeah, some solid films. This one, this one not. This one just goes off the rail early, and it's uh, it's very forgettable. Yes, it absolutely is. And actually, the strongest of the group uh, this week is Alpha, the dog movie. That's right, which we had very low expectations for, but we also didn't review. Christy Robb reviewed. It's lovely, to, it's beautiful to look at film, and it's it's much more sincere and worthwhile than you might imagine. And Cody Smith-McPhee. I don't know if you know that it is, but I have loved Cody Smith-McPhee <laughs> since he was a little boy in the movie The Road, and I'm always happy to see him in anything. Yeah, and actually, we we mentioned Let the Right One In, mm-hmm. the vampire movie. Mm-hmm. He was in the American remake of yeah. that called Let Me Let In, Me in yeah. which is also very good. It is also very good. And worth checking out. So not a stellar group in home entertainment this week. Uh, much better. Check out something new in theaters. Looking to next week, well, it's going to be a short week because all of these come out. The major releases come out on Wednesday yep. for uh, the uh, Thanksgiving holiday. And there's some big names. Creed Two comes out. Robin Hood comes out. Also, uh, Green Book with Vigo Mortensen and Mahershala, Mahershala Ali. Uh, for the families, Ralph Breaks the Internet. And one more. The new, the political one we're actually pretty excited to see with Hugh Jackman, frontrunner. Yeah, the Gary Hart story. So a uh, lot of stuff coming out in a short week. We look forward to talking to you about all that next week. Uh, until then, get in touch if you can. What would you think of these movies or anything you've seen lately? Let us know. You can find us on Twitter is the easiest way. We're at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus, and you can always find all the written reviews and other fun stuff, including our horror movie podcast, Fright Club. You can find that at madwolf.com. So keep in touch if you can. The Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner.
Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>